everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today on this beautiful, beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Um, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, and you get that by going to BibleQuest.tv, you have a few more options listening or watching the program from the Zoom app. Uh, you can enter in your comments using the Q&A button or the chat box. Uh, or you can even use your audio, your computer audio, if you want to come in with your voice and ask us questions or make comments that way, too. Uh, if you're going to do that, you'd have to raise your hand using that little hand icon and let us know you want to do that. If you're coming in on the Facebook page, I believe we're coming in on uh, Scott's Facebook page today. Uh, use the comment uh, box there that's under the video, and we'll also uh, monitor both both channels and get back to you about your, you know, let your questions come on here and we'll talk about things that you want to add to the program. We're going to be picking up where we left off last week on a controversial topic, uh, especially in an area that we'll be getting to today. But before we do, I'm Drew DeGrado, your host, and let me bring in the panelists. Scott Smeltzer is our program director. Hi, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Drew. How are you today? Good. Good to see you. Jeff Smeltzer, how are you doing, Jeff? Good afternoon. Doing well, Drew. It's good to have you back. You've been traveling lately, and uh, we're really glad to have you back today. Thank you. And Jonathan Sadler, good to see you, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to see you guys. All right, good. Enjoying the winter as we're approaching winter. It's actually more than just winter up here in northeastern Pennsylvania. It's our winter wonderland with all the snow we're getting. But we're, we're warm and we're inside. All right, so Scott, we left off with... Um, topic of uh, Calvinism and specifically going through the description of the, was it five points of Calvinism? Five points of Calvinism, that's right. And you're going to be sharing your screen and showing some things, but uh, go ahead and where are we going to start? Well, I'm having trouble finding the, today my stuff is messed up, I can't find the shared screen tab. Okay, focus on Zoom. And when you're on, when you're focused on Zoom, you'll see the green button. Hey, there we go. Thanks. Okay. Thank you much. You'd think by now I'd know how to do that. <laughs> it happens, especially when you have so many things open on your computer. Yeah. At this age, Scott, we start losing abilities rather than acquiring them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, this is true. This is true. All right. So. We were uh, laughing at Jonathan. You're not there yet, so you. you <laughs> that's why he's laughing. <laughs> that's why he's laughing. <laughs> he's <Yeah>. gloating. <laughs> I haven't said anything. Oh no, your expression <laughs> says it all. <laughs> so last time we talked about the first four points of Calvinism. We talked about total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. Just real, real quickly, let's review those. Somebody tell us what total depravity is and one point uh, from scripture that shows the problem with it. Uh, the total depravity is the idea. And I think we kind of mentioned this last time when it comes to the first four tenets, and I'll say this really quickly, the first four tenets of Calvinism, the first <laughs> word is incorrect biblically. The second word is correct biblically. And so the idea of total depravity is not biblical, but depravity is. And so in total depravity in, um, in Calvinism is the idea that uh, all humans are incapable of good. Um, in other words, you, you are, no matter what you do in your life, um, if you are not elect, if you are not chosen by God, anything you do is evil. So I think the illustration we used last week was um, if there's a little old lady and you help her across the street, 
that's evil. If you beat her up and take her purse, that's also evil. Anything is evil that you do, which is not true because we see an example in Acts 10 of Cornelius, um, who later in the chapter, it's clear that he um, needs the forgiveness of his sins. So he has not yet been saved from his sins at the beginning of the chapter. And in chapter 10 of Acts, in the first few verses, it says at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort. And he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. And he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And then about the ninth hour, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God coming to him in Spain, Cornelius. And he stared in terror and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And then he tells him to go and send for Peter. So clearly the things that God, that Cornelius were doing were pleasing to God. Yeah. Um, but, but not everything. To go and no, God, he done some depraved things. But right. he also, that's right. All right. So unconditional election. Somebody describe that very quickly in one scripture point against it. I think, I think you were going to do that, Scott. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, in Second Peter 2, we looked at last week there in chapter 1, it says to pursue these different virtues. And if you do this, you won't stumble and you'll make your election sure. And it's the same word used in the verse about like in Hebrews where it talks about making an anchor, you know, steadfast and, and, and sure. Uh, so it's a conditional election. All right. And then limited atonement. Yeah, limited, limited atonement, uh, meaning that uh, forgiveness of sins is only available. Jesus coming to save people. It's only available to a limited group of people, limited individuals, but that flies in direct conflict with uh, 1 John chapter 2. Uh, he ends verse 1 with, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he's, he's writing to Christians, granted, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, that's us Christians, but then he says, not on, but not for our sin, for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. There's a contrast between the Christians and the whole world. And then drop it down to verse 5. It says, whoever keeps his word, and whoever keeps his word, uh, in him the love of God is truly perfected. So I see a contradiction with the doctrine. Uh, okay. Scripture is contradicting that doctrine, in my opinion. They say he died only for these people. And this passage says he died for everybody. Very everybody, good. Everybody. Irresistible grace. So I understand, and you guys feel free to correct me if I don't, if you have a different understanding, but as I understand it, the Calvinists, when they talk about irresistible grace, they're talking about the idea that uh, it's one thing for God to have foreordained certain people to be saved, but then if he's going to help them to be good, and um, how's he going to do that? They're totally depraved. They're not going to respond willingly. So there has to be a direct operation of the Holy Spirit that converts them, that changes them, that makes them able to receive God's word. Uh, and without that, they can't. Um, but you look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, and you have this passage where Stephen says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. Now remember, the irresistible work of grace that Calvinists talk about is the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody's heart and changing it. And they say that's irresistible. But here, you do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, uh, so do you. Now, maybe a Calvinist would say, well, this is talking to people whom God hadn't chosen. They're not the elect. But wait a minute. 
He says, as your fathers did, so do you. And what's he talking about? We go back to the Old Testament and you read in the prophets, for example, the book of Isaiah, the appeal God made to their fathers. And you look at that and it's verse 18 of chapter one is a good example. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And what would be the result if they would respond appropriately? Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Automatically, because the Holy Spirit has come upon people God's already chosen? No. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be delivered by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God gave them the choice. They could resist or they could not resist. The, the grace that God extends to us and specifically, the converting power of the Holy Spirit is something that is resistible. Yeah. And yeah, very good. All right. So that brings us to perseverance of the saints, uh, which is also known as, now, not every Calvinist likes these terms, but people who believe this basic doctrine also use it with these terms. Once saved, always saved, or uh, eternal security. Uh, and when they say eternal security, they mean once you're saved, you're always saved. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Can a person leave the Lord and be lost? Or is that impossible? Once you're saved, you're always saved. Uh, one preacher, a uh, Baptist preacher in Tennessee one time made the statement. He said, there's not a sin you can commit from idolatry to murder that would endanger your soul in the slightest. You know, once you're saved, you are always saved. Uh, now, some Calvinists would say, well, if you did that, then that means you were never saved. But either way, it's if you really got saved, you can never become lost. That's the belief. Next question we'll be looking at today. I think uh, real, a passage quickly, real quickly, I think I recently learned that there's a distinction among Calvinists. Some use the phrase, perseverance of the saints, and some say preservation of the saints. Preservation, that's another phrase, yes. And when they say preservation, if I understand correctly, those are the Calvinists who believe, yes, you can sin and you can do awful things, but you're going to be, uh, you're going to be saved anyway. And the perseverance is used by those who say, no, you won't sin. You'll be kept from living that way. And if you do end up going into apostasy and sin, then what that means is you were never, you never were saved, saved in the first place. place. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, but either way, whether it's the, that view or the other view, they all believe that if you once get saved, then you will always be saved. And a favorite passage uh, that they go to is John 10, which is a beautiful passage. Uh, and here's what it says. I am the good shepherd. Jesus speaking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd sees the wolf coming and flees. If you're getting paid minimum wage to watch some sheep and a wolf takes comes, what are you going to do? He ran. Run. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're going to do. But Jesus cares about his sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. And what, notice the verb here. What will the wolf do? Snatch them. Yeah, remember that phrase for, uh, later in, in the text. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep do what? Hear his voice. And? Follow him. And what does Jesus give them? Gives them eternal life. 
And they'll, never, and they'll never perish. It says it right there. They will never perish, and no one can what? Snatch them out of his hand. Yeah, like, like we saw the wolf snatching them. The wolf can't do that. All right? So that is a beautiful, beautiful promise. Who has this security in the text? The sheep that hear his voice. Yeah, his sheep. And how does it define his sheep? Those that hear his voice and follow him. Yeah. So this security and eternal life is possessed by these sheep right here. They're hearing the voice of the shepherd and they're following. That's what John teaches. John 10. Amen. 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 That's beautiful. Here's a separate question, which is not what John 10 is about. What about sheep that stop following? John, John 10, 10 about that. What's that? John 10 is not addressing that one. Yeah. John 10 is about his sheep hearing his voice and following him and having security. But what about sheep that stop? Well, James 1, somebody read James 1.14 for us here on the screen. When he is, when he is drawn, away, go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry. When he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full, full grown, brings forth death. The sheep that des, the sheep that deserts his shepherd wasn't snatched away; he went away. And when a sheep goes away from the shepherd, what is he? Well, he's not protected by the shepherd. <laughs> he's a lost sheep. And he's in, he's 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 food. He's a wolf prey. He's wolf food. Yeah. yeah. In, in Luke 15, in the parable of the if you got 99 sheep and one's gone astray, what does the shepherd do? Goes goes looks for that one. Yeah. And and when he gets it, he rejoices because that which had been lost, lost is found. Yeah. 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 All right. So Jesus said in John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. That's where security is in following the good shepherd. Comments, your thoughts so far? Keep going. All right. It's similar, isn't it, to John 15? Who's the true vine? Jesus. Yeah. Who's the gardener? The Father. Yeah. And the branches that are bearing fruit, if you look at the text in John 15, it says he will prune it, so it will bring more fruit. But what if the branches will not bring forth fruit? He cuts it off. Yeah. He cuts off every branch where? Look at the text. He where? cuts off every branch. Oh, the... Oh, in me. Okay, so you're talking about a branch that is physically so in him. Well, this isn't talking about... Yeah, look, look at the text there. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So the instruction is to remain where? In Christ. Yeah, remain in Christ. And then there's a, the word if is a conditional word, isn't it? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But if you do not remain in me, what happens? It's that, well, we're going to see it happening. That branch there was bearing no fruit. It got broken off, and we don't get to see it burned up there, but that's what happens to it. Well, yeah. wait a minute. Scott, Scott, we got to stop here for a minute. I didn't realize this. This is in direct opposition to the theory or the doctrine. So is this scripture in their Bible? <laughs> It's in there. 
People have a lot of verses that they ignore, but it's in there. So here's a branch that was in, in Christ, but it didn't bear fruit, and it's broken off and uh, burned. Yeah. So both of these passages are telling us. And, and we, might, we might interject real quickly here that the not bearing fruit doesn't specifically necessarily mean making converts, but it means not having the fruit of the Spirit in the life. In other words, right. it's, it's equivalent to a sheep that ran off some other direction and did not hear his voice. Yeah, yeah. And so Hebrews 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to do what? Fall away from the living God. And then we have two illustrations of that from the Gospel of John and Jesus' words. All right, and this is from the Old Testament. The Lord is with you when? While you are with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, well, he will forsake you. Yeah, makes sense. So let's look at three quick and clear examples from scripture of people that were saved that end up, and it describes them losing their salvation. So Galatians 5, 2 Peter 2, and Hebrews 10. It's going, we're going to see people who were saved, and then they fall from grace. Calvinists will almost always do one of two things whenever they're shown one of these verses. Uh, plan A, they will almost always say, well, what? He uh, wasn't saved to begin with? Right, right. They, they weren't really saved. And then if you prove from the text that they were really saved, then sometimes they will switch to plan B and say, well, he's not really lost then. He may suffer some penalty, but he's not really lost. Right. And so we're going to look at three passages that are clear that people were saved, and then it's talking about them falling from grace. So we'll start with Galatians 5. Now, in Galatians 4, it talks about where these Gentiles used to be. In the past, they didn't know God, and they'd been enslaved to idols. Sounds like now they do know God and are not enslaved if they're in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they, they had come to be in Christ. In fact, in yeah. Galatians 3.27, as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Yes, yes. And in chapter 1, where he says, I can't believe how quickly you left it, he also says, you were called in the grace of Christ. They believed in Christ, chapter 3, verse 2. They were baptized into Christ, 3.27. They received the Spirit, 3.2, and they had been running well. Five, seven. Is that saved or unsaved? It has That's to be you're saved. Yeah. Yeah. But then he said they turned away to a different gospel. And the result is, he said, if you do that, then you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, Galatians 5, 4. In particular, what, what was the false doctrine that they were uh, turning away to? The Judaistic teaching that basically says, uh, you're going to be saved by being a Jew. You're going to be saved by being circumcised, keeping the law of Moses. And if you're a Gentile, you're essentially going to have to convert to Judaism to be a Christian. Yeah. And those teachers have gone up there and taught them that. And these people have, have believed it and started doing that. And so this is a warning to them about that. He says, you do that, you're severed from Christ, you're falling away from grace, and Christ will profit you nothing. That's not so good. what you're saying is, Never mind. Go ahead. All right. Um, so they were saved, and then you, you can become saved and then become lost. Mm -hmm. Second Peter 2, similarly, 
people that had been in the defilements of the world had escaped and had been washed. Uh, because verse 20 says, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through knowledge of Christ, but they are again entangled and overcome, the last state has become worse than them and then the first, verse 20. And then there's a couple of uh, images from animals. What are those two illustrations? A dog and a pig. Yeah, what's the illustration of the dog? Uh, the dog that returns to his vomit. You know, we've all seen dogs eat something down and spit it up, vomit it out, and then they go back and eat it back up. <laughs> and that's yeah. one illustration. If you are a person who uh, falls away, you're like a dog that goes back to his vomit. Yeah. And then the other one is a pig. And it's like a, a dirty pig that has been washed, but then goes back and jumps back in the mud. All right, so clearly again here, we've got people say, describing people saved and then lost. Comments or uh, discussion on that? Well, just, I mean, to nail down, these people were saved. Um, they had escaped the defilements of the world uh, through the knowledge of Christ. Right. Uh, so they were clearly okay. saved. All right, and then one more, Hebrews 10 uh, it says, after, see what, somebody just be reading Hebrews 10, starting in verse 26, and I'll click through and read this text, please. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 26. I'll read that. Um, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and, uh, and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Yeah. So these people, after receiving knowledge of truth, after being sanctified, if we go on sinning deliberately, trampling underfoot the Son of God, profaning the blood of the covenant, no more sacrifice for sins, but instead a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire deserved by the one who had trampled underfoot the Son of God. Verses 27 through 29. So we've got three clear examples of people who had been saved and then falling from grace. Comments before we go on. If, if uh, you can't fall from grace according to the doctrine, why would these scriptures be warnings or necessary? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. What, what do they serve? What point do they serve? Because they're written to people who have been saved. They're not written to the world. Yeah, why warn somebody against something that they couldn't possibly do? That that right. that part is what I find a hard time. To, if we have any uh, uh, Calvinists in, in our audience that are listening, maybe they'll listen to the podcast after it's been recorded. We we invite you to comment back, give us some reasoning uh, from the scriptures as to you know what am I missing here on this particular point? We I would love if we had a Calvinist in the audience. Uh, would love to have you let us know what uh, you see in these passages and 
and why, if you believe we're missing the point of these passages, why you think so, in what way? Yes. And we would, and do, it, we would do it in a, in a sincere method of you know, discussing. Let's give, them a, let's give them a minute or two to see if we get a response uh, from the audience. And anybody has any other passage you want to bring up uh, uh, or, or comment on some of the ones we've looked so far uh, and give people a couple minutes before we go ahead in case somebody wants to respond. Let, let me uh, make that my, my question clear. This is the question I'm asking sincerely. If the doctrine is true that one can never fall from grace, why then were these, there's others, but why these particular three verses are there? What are they, what purpose are they serving? That, that's the question I'd like to have answered. This is Bible Quest, this program, so we are on a quest to, to discover the truth, and we're always open to listen and hear. Did I interrupt you, Jeff? Are you going to say something? Nope. Just, just, just waiting for somebody to tell us why the Bible doesn't say what it looks like it says. Yeah. And the, the favorite, the, the primary text that they will go to is John 10. They'll say, well, it says in John 10 that you have eternal life and nobody can snatch you away. But we've already gone through John 10 and we saw that was a promise about who? His sheep that do what? Hear his voice and follow him. Yeah. We're not, we're not saying that you'll lose your salvation by following Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's not the problem. That's not what the debate about. The problem is if you stop following Jesus, will you still have salvation? And the Bible teaches no. Well, let's go ahead. We don't have any comments coming in on that from Calvinists. So let's go ahead and look at, I, I've discussed uh, with Calvinists a number of times, and I know usually what, what they say, you might find some variance. But this is typically what people will say when they believe once saved, always saved. Uh, and by the way, there are some people who won't say they're five-point Calvinists, so they'll say they're four-point Calvinists. They don't accept all of Calvinism, but they still believe once saved, always saved. So let's take a look at what some of those people would say about these texts. What do once saved, always saved advocates say about these texts? Okay, just, just to be clear, so everybody catches it, where you have OSIS, yes. that, that's not a terrorist group. That stands for right. this is once, once saved, saved, always saved. O S A S. Okay. And they are generally going to say, "Oh, those people weren't really saved." On occasion, they will say, "Oh, they weren't really lost." But they'll usually start with, "Oh, they weren't really saved." Uh, so, on this passage, where people had been in the defilements of the world, but they were escaped, they washed. Uh, they have escaped through the defilements world too, the knowledge of Christ, but they've been entangled and overcome. The last state has become worse than them than the first. If your first state was lost and the last one is worse than that, that you're at least lost. Gets, yeah, he's lost. So they're going to claim that they were never saved. And here's how they claim it. They say, these people merely had a knowledge about Christ, but not salvation. And have you ever seen someone who had a knowledge of Jesus, but didn't become a Christian? Oh, yeah. So they say that's what this is. These are people that had a knowledge, but not to salvation. Because look right there. What was it? They had a knowledge. So let's answer that from the text. How would you respond to that? Well, when you talk about um, these people who uh, 
well, let's go back to verse 18. It talks about people who were just escaping from them that live in error. And uh, it talks about in verse 28, they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's not just they have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, but they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How, wait a minute, wait a minute. How does the argument start by saying, how does one claim that these people merely had a knowledge about Christ, but not? So where's the, how do we know that they merely just had knowledge and then he responded to the knowledge? Is there some scripture? It, that it's that? because you assume from the beginning that the saved can't become lost. Okay, and so that, that's where that, they assume. That's the premise. It starts and with the premise. These people and, clearly end up not being saved, then they could never have been saved. And so they look for something in the text to say they weren't saved, and they seize upon the word knowledge. And so they'll use... They'll, they'll use this verse here as, as an example. See, they, they did have the knowledge, but they weren't saved. But yet the verse doesn't say that. The verse says that they had, they did escape the defilements of the world. They were saved. Yeah, because look, it's through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they had escaped, past tense, the and, defilements and, of the world. The, just the, look, go ahead. It doesn't say they had a knowledge that they could have escaped, you know, defilement of the world through Jesus. It said they had escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. So it's also important just to look at the overall context of a letter. You go back and, and um, Peter is writing to people uh, who he says in verse 3 of chapter 1, his divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that yeah. called us by his own glory and virtue. And, and then he says in uh, verse 10, wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. And then he warns that just like there were false prophets amongst God's Old Testament people, verse chapter 2, verse 1, uh, there will also be among you false teachers who are going to bring in destructive heresies. And then he's describing how these destructive teachers are going to work and how they're going to lead astray people, the ones to whom Peter's writing, the ones who have just escaped from the defilements of the world. As you read through this, it becomes very clear he's not talking about somebody who was never a, a, one of God's people and they got misled by people who were not God's people and none of them ever were and never could be God's people. This is a letter to God's people warning them not to be led astray. And look at the end of verse 4 back in chapter 1. Let's, well, let's look here at the screen there to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So would this be describing saved people or lost people? Uh, the apostles were saved. saved. His divine power granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence by which he granted precious and very great promises, having... Same words, having escaped from the corruption. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world. So look at there. It's the people, the, the salvation described in chapter one is through the knowledge of Jesus. And they have escaped the corruption of the world. Yep. And in chapter two, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world 
through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So both chapter one and chapter two describe having escaped uh, through the knowledge of Christ. If the word knowledge means, oh, they're not really saved, they just had knowledge, then why doesn't chapter one mean these people weren't really saved? Right. And I pointed this out one time to a Calvinist who was claiming, uh, or to a once saved, always saved advocate who was saying, no, these people in chapter two were never saved. I showed him this in chapter one, Mm -hmm. and he said, well, maybe this was written to non-Christians. Yeah. So Jonathan's trying to get a word in edgewise. Oh, go ahead, Jonathan. Oh, I was waiting until we were done with this um, Second Peter one. Oh, no, he's okay. not trying to get it in edgewise. He's wanting to get it in full force. <laughs> right. So this argument that they merely had a knowledge but not salvation just falls apart. Um, second argument that that's been made uh, is it can't be talking about Christians because a Christian wouldn't be compared to a pig. Remember it said a person that had escaped sin, the defilement of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If he goes back into it, it's like having washed off a pig, he jumps back in the mud. And a preacher told me that can't be a real Christian because a real Christian wouldn't be compared to a pig. How might that be answered? He's using a, a metaphor, an illustration. Here's an example of what a pig does, and here's an example of what a Christian does, like the pig. He's not saying that Christian's a pig. And in the ver- a few verses down in the very next passage, he uses a metaphor to describe how quickly Jesus is going to come. Oh, that can't be Jesus. Jesus, The Lord is going to come like a what? A thief. No, it can't be Jesus. No. Deep in the he, night. He's not yeah. a thief. No. If, if Jesus, his coming can be compared to a thief to make a point, then I think I can handle a warning that uses a pig. Exactly. Um, uh, chapter three using thief doesn't mean it's not the real Lord because the coming of the real Lord would never be compared with a thief. So that's just nonsense. Jonathan, what were you going to say? Uh, there was a comment that came in about a passage we haven't talked about. Um, the question was, what if someone uses um, Psalm thirty four twenty two? Um, to illustrate once saved, always saved. And that verse says, um, yeah, it's Psalm 34, verse 22. And that verse says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who will be condemned. Well, the key phrase there is who take refuge in him. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. It's kind of like the sheep who hear uh, the voice of Jesus and follow him. Um, If, if, if I don't take refuge in the Lord, well, then I'm going to be lost. Yeah. In fact, look also at Psalms, I think it's Psalm 37. And I've wondered if this is where the language perseverance of the saints comes from. What's the verse I'm looking for here? What passage uh, did you just say? Scott, repeat what you just said. I said that's very similar to the verse in Psalm, I think it's verse 37, but I can't find the verse. Um, Psalm chapter 37, you're saying? Yes, Psalm 37. Hmm. Um, verse 33. I'm having some... Yeah, 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 yeah. No, nope, that's not it. You know what? I may have the wrong verse here. 
Well, let's move on. We're getting close. We're yeah, let, let's time. move on. I'll tell you the phrase I'm looking for if one of you can find it. It's where it says, the Lord will not forsake his saints. And uh, if we have time. Uh, we'll verse 28. Okay. The Lord loves justice, but does not forsake his godly ones. But will. They are preserved forever. Yeah. And I wonder if that's not where the phrase preservation of the saints comes from. But notice there, who is it that he will not forsake? People who are godly. Yeah, he will not forsake his saints. And there's two words for holy in the Old Testament in the Hebrew. One is like set apart, like a, a furnishing of the temple is holy. Uh, is that piece of gold, is it that it's especially moral and God-fearing? No, it just means that it's set apart. But the other Hebrew word refers to your character and your behavior, a person that's righteous, that lives holy, that lives morally. And that's the word used here. The Lord will not forsake his faithful ones, his ones that live holy. And again, so it's like John 10, the promises for those that are serving him. All right, real quickly, uh, let's take a look at Hebrews 10. What would they say about Hebrews 10? Um, you remember this passage, it's up there on the screen. And uh, what they would say about this is, oh, again, they weren't really saved. They just had a knowledge of the truth. Because look right there, they had a knowledge. So they said that's all they had. How would you answer that from the scripture? So they're saying, okay, so he's saying they weren't really saved. They just had a knowledge. I would always go down to uh, where it says they were sanctified by the blood of the covenant. Uh, yeah. Right there. Uh, well, yeah. let's start with the how much. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot, the Son of God, has been, and has profaned, profaned what? The blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. I don't know how you can have somebody sanctified by the blood of the covenant sanctified, set apart by Christ's sacrificial blood, and say he's not saved. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard somebody try to do it one time. Uh, you can't do it effectively. You can't do it and be true to the text. Uh, and outraged the spirit of grace. According to Calvinism, if, if these people aren't saved, it's because they weren't picked out. And it's, they weren't picked out because God didn't want to save them and that God planned for them to do all their sins. Well, then, then why be outraged at them? Wait a minute. If that's what you wanted them to do. Here's something interesting. Once we see these people were saved by the blood of the covenant, uh, then we see them trampling underfoot and outraging the spirit of grace. Remember, Calvinist says grace is irresistible. These are people who were saved and then outraged the spirit of grace. Right, right. Good point. And then it ends with a warning. The Lord will judge. His people. His people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, so this is not mere knowledge. This is people that have been sanctified by the blood. So all of these passages are very clear. And the attempts uh, by those that advocate once saved, always saved, are, are desperate attempts to try to deny what's clearly in the text. So, so all right, we've looked at three major texts here, Galatians, Hebrews, Second Peter. Here's a, just an observation, and, and I hope we have somebody listening who believes in, in Calvinism, because if you'll think about this, I, I think this is a fair point. I think that for many of these passages, if you isolate one verse, or if you isolate one phrase, 
you could conceivably manage to look at that one phrase and say, I can see that phrase being said if this is the truth or if this is the truth. I can come up with a way to understand, going to John 10, for example, uh, I can come up with a way to say, to understand uh, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I can make that make sense either with a Calvinistic doctrine or if Calvinism is not true. And if we'll be honest, I think we'll say, you know, a lot of these phrases, I could make it make sense, whichever one is true. And if that, that was point, the only phrase. Yeah. At that point, it becomes clear what we need to do is step back and say, well, wait a minute. What's the big idea that tells me which one is true? Right. When, you look at, when you look at Hebrews, what is the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews? As you read through it, if you read through it as a whole, rather than picking out verses, you've got a letter written to, to Jewish believers, people who are called holy brethren, and, and whose apostle and high priest is Jesus Christ, and, and they are being urged not to make the mistake that their ancestors, the Israelites, did when they came out of Egypt and then fell away in the wilderness and never made it to the promised land. And when you look at the book of Hebrews and you see that and you see the, the reasoning that is being done with why we don't need to rest on the law of Moses and the Levitical priesthood because we've got a better, better priest in Jesus Christ and so on. So, so don't, you need to keep growing so that you don't make the mistake that the Israelites made. You realize, wait a minute, that tells me how I should look at this. I should look at this as a warning to God's people lest they fall away. And right. now when I come to those individual phrases, I'm going to know which way I have to take them. And I think the same thing is going to be true with Galatians. Who is Paul writing to? What's he trying to say? He's writing to people who have been baptized into Christ and warning them lest they don't end up being saved. And similarly in Second Peter. You, you, yeah. you, put, you put my point right to the, you, you phrased it perfectly, which was the question I would, I'm asking is, if Calvinism's theory or doctrine is true, there's no purpose for these books, these, these yeah. scriptures. I think that's it. And I, I'll tell you this. Um, I, I had a conversation with uh, some Calvinists a few years ago. A friend and I went over to talk to them. And one of the things that was rather interesting, I tried to say, let's just go by the scripture. Let's just go by the scripture and see what the scripture says. They didn't like that. They said, well, but our, our, our denominational, you know, councils in history is, is also important. If you're wedded to a view of a reformer from the 1500s or 1600s, then you're, you're going to end up betraying things in scripture to make it fit what the uninspired man said. It's like in Second Peter 3, where it talks about two types of people that twist scripture. There's the unlearned and the unstable. Obviously, if you don't learn scripture, you might twist it. If I pick up an electricity manual and I read one paragraph, it doesn't mean I'm ready to rewire my house. Mm -hmm. uh, there's other people that have read it and read it, but if you're if you if you're if you're trying to keep your left toes on the Bible, but you got your right foot planted firmly in the Westminster, you know, confession of faith, which is Calvinistic doctrine, 
then what do you end up having to do with scripture? You end up having to twist it to fit your theology. And that's not the way to come to scripture. All right, let's uh, finish with this chart here. Let me share again. So uh, we saw several examples of this. Um, here, let me get past that. Oh, oh, we never got to Galatians. Let's just hit Galatians super quick here. These people had believed in Christ. They were baptized. The, the Calvinist is going to say they weren't really saved. Look at that. They believed in Christ. They were baptized into Christ. They had received the Spirit. They were running well. These people had been saved. They'd been called in the grace of Christ. It's all there. Uh, these people obviously had been saved. Uh, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Let's end with this. The Lord promises security to those who follow him. He promises judgment to those that betray him. Somebody read 11, Romans 11, 22 there, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. Woo. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And if you're listening to this on a recorded the recording, the podcast, please go to BibleQuest.tv and give us some feedback using the form on that page when you arrive there. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.